Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Impacting the Classroom, the podcast that talks about big topics that have an even bigger impact in early education. I'm your host, Marnetta Larimer. If you've been listening for a while, you know that one of our themes that's come up over and over again is this push toward equity throughout the early childhood system. We've talked about the need to be more aware of our own unconscious biases and how schools can create more welcoming environments in their cultures. Today, we're digging deeper by specifically addressing equity in coaching. With me today are Claudia Perez and Dorothy Sanchez. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Can you guys each tell us a little bit about yourselves? Sure. So excited to be here. I have been working in the early childhood field for close to a decade now, which is crazy. Closely with Dorothy, actually, we've shared very similar paths and we've had the wonderful pleasure of working with teachers along the way. I was also a teacher coach, um, which has, I have to say, has been my absolute favorite role in my journey. I am Cuban, raised in Miami, currently living in Los Angeles. Okay. Um, Loving it. And uh, I'm Dorothy Sanchez. And like Claudia said, yes, we've shared very similar paths. I got involved in the early childhood world um, back when I was an undergraduate research assistant and fell in love with it. And after graduating, Claudia and I helped to develop a coaching model through the University of Miami. And we poached infant, toddler, preschool teachers, early Head Start and Head Start all across Miami-Dade County. And that's what we were doing up until we joined uh, the TeachStone team. Wonderful. Yeah, I neglected to say, ta-da! Hello, co-workers. (laughs) (laughs) We're all own family. (laughs) Right, one big old family, whether here or in the field, right? Uh, So I... I caught a little nugget that I was unaware of. So when you were at the University of Miami, you said you guys created this coaching model. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so we really took the best of a few different coaching models. So it was kind of an amalgamation of practice-based coaching, which is really popular and really effective and really widely used in Head Start models and cognitive coaching, which is really more used in the adult learning world in different fields, but still really impactful. And our focus was on building the capacity of educators and building their reflective muscle. So as coaches, we thought it was really important to get teachers to observe children and really reflect on what they were able to do to get children to progress in the ways that they wanted them to progress, to meet the goals that the teachers decided were important for children and really helping teachers to see just how effective they were and to extend those effective practices and effective interactions to other times of the day in a bunch of different contexts. And a big guiding principle of our coaching was having it be child-centered. So we really help teachers focus on what is it that you want your kids to be able to do? What is it that they're ready for? What do you think is important to emphasize in what they're doing? And just being thinking partners, Claudia and I were talking about this earlier, really helping teachers think and reflect on what they could do to get children to where they wanted to go. 
Yeah. And then a lot of it was also uh, play-based learning focus and heavy as well on the observation piece. So, and something that I think was really cool about the coaching model is that we really did as coaches, we were always very aware of this parallel process. So really doing right, like practicing what we preach and, and everything that we know is so important for educators to do with children. We would also make sure that we were enacting those same things in our coaching. So it was lovely and I miss it. (laughs) (laughs) So it sounds like a great thing that you guys created. How did it focus or help teachers to be more mindful of equitable experiences in the classroom? Sure, Dorothy, I know you probably have a lot more to say on this, but I think that something that we we really focused on was, like I said, uh, using observation and, and spending a lot of time on getting teachers to really, you know, out of the action, because in the moment, like in the classroom, like there's just so much going on and it's really hard to see everything. So we made use of a lot of uh, video recording to reflect on what we were observing in the child, right? Like what, what were the children doing? How are they reacting? How are they responding? What are some maybe nonverbal cues that in the moment we didn't pick up on, right? And, and what is this telling us about the child? And in a way, this was really allowing teachers to take a moment to see every single child and the whole child, their interests, their abilities, their preferences, right? Their preferred methods of communication, what they were responding to better than others. So they they really had the time to, to look at every child and be responsive to every child, I think is was really great. Yeah, yeah. And encouraging them to reflect on the why of every child, right? And really understanding that each behavior that we're seeing from children is a communication. They're trying to tell us something with what they're saying, with what they're doing, with where they're looking, with, you know, with their actions. So having those video snippets and really, really targeting our focus on, all right, let's observe this one child. What do you see them doing? Do you see excitement in their eyes? What do you hear them saying? And really spending a lot of time on each child was really helpful. And then it helped teachers to be more mindful even in the action, right? Because we were practicing that reflective muscle out of the action during our meetings with them, but then they would start noticing things before we would even ask, which was the best feeling, you know, going into a meeting and the teacher being the one to be like, oh my goodness, I noticed that this child was able to draw this way and he's never drawn that way before and look at everything he's been able to accomplish and he really focused today. It was really exciting to see how teachers were able to really appreciate every single child for what they were able to do and what their unique interests are and unique abilities are. And I think it really helped, you know, teachers care so much for their children So it was just really nice to be able to focus on that for a while. I love it. So you have these teachers who are able to meet children where they are, right? And then support them individually. It's like you said, like as unique individuals that they are and being able to see that in a whole different way because they were able to step back and just kind of see it play out before and be like, oh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Uh Like there's just so much joy in those ahas, right? Those literal light bulbs you see pop up above people's heads when they make that connection. What did they notice 
as far as, you know, they did the reflecting, they look and they see these children, they're learning how to interact with them in a way that supports them as individuals. What changes did they see in the classroom? So I think something that some magic that we saw happen was teachers were really able to, like Dorothy was saying, see the why behind behaviors and then reframe their own interpretation of the behavior. And then they were able to build on that. So something that we focused on at times was if there was a a teacher who was having a hard time with a child who, you know, she was here, she was not understanding what their needs were or the child was crying a lot, we would focus specifically on that child and specifically look for those challenging moments or challenging behaviors and really trying to like, like a puzzle piece, just understand. And I think teachers were then able to, once they understood, they knew exactly how to support that child. So that's the beauty of it, right? Like these teachers are experts in their classrooms. Like they know so much like they are in it day in and day out. They they have such an incredible toolbox. And the moment that they were able to understand that why, they knew exactly how to support that child. Yeah. And what we heard teachers say a lot was that things were going a lot more smoothly because they knew what to do and they knew when to do it. Mm-hmm. And they knew how to be proactive in the supports that they provided because they had taken the time to get to know what each child needed. So we supported them in really setting up the environment to be as supportive as possible for the number of children that were going to be involved in an experience for who those children particularly were, right? If we know that there's a child who may prefer to use a different kind of material, all right, let's plan for that. Let's plan to include that different kind of material. If there's a child who speaks more Creole in English, what can we, what material can we provide for that child? How can you ask that child that same question in Creole so that they get the most out of that experience too? So helping them plan and be proactive in the supports that they provided just really helped things go a lot more smoothly. And it really helped them to see how children were meeting the developmental goals that they had set for them. Oh, I was just going to say children feel seen right, and valued in those types of settings. The teacher really cares about me. Oh, that's in my language, right? Like, I'm, I'm there with you, right? Um, it really fosters those deep connections, those interactions that really help children to succeed. Exactly. And I think what I was going to add is that I think it also opened up this uh, door of curiosity for teachers at times because, I mean, yeah, sometimes it was a simple fix, right? Like, oh, maybe I shouldn't put out this material like at this time of the day, or maybe I shouldn't like put out the food before I'm ready for them to eat and that kind of thing. But sometimes it was a little bit more complex as far as like, well, what does this look like at home? Right. Or like, what is this child's like, you know, custom at home or like routine, dining routine or eating routine or or what, where are they coming from and how can I connect with the families to really like, you know, make that bridge. And sometimes it was like Dorothy said, just bringing a material from home to the classroom or just using a word in the child's preferred language to greet the child, right? And like that already changes the whole dynamic of that morning entry. So I I think that curiosity of, wow, well, you know, there's this whole other world at home outside of the classroom and, and how can I partner with families 
was something really, really nice. Yeah, and we also helped to facilitate those conversations and those exchanges between teachers and families and making sure that that was a two-way communication and a two-way street where a teacher, because she was so observant about what children were able to do and what they loved to do in the classroom and what they said and, and what they accomplished, those are things that now the teacher shares with the families and talks to the families about and asks them, just like Claudia said, well, how does this happen at home? Like, what, what are they able to do at home? What does he like to draw at home? What do they like to build? What do they like to play with? And then bringing that back into the classroom to, like Claudia said, make that connection. So that was also a big part of what we did with teachers. So many parallels with what we do here at class, right? <laughs> and importance of connecting to the real world and really integrating those concepts for children for that higher learning thinking process is so important. We talked a lot about coaching. I just jumped right in because you guys were saying some things that just led me <laughs> into that. But let's talk more about the role that instructional coaches play in education, right? We've already ascertained, we're not talking about soccer coaches, right? <laughs> or gym class. So tell me a little bit more about what we mean when we talk about coaching. Yeah. And I love that question, Marnetta. I love that you're asking that because we almost like take it for granted. And like, we just assume that we're all on the same page about what a coach is. Right. And I think many people would say something like a mentor. Right. But I think that word implies that one person holds more knowledge or expertise over the other. And yes, coaches bring a lot of valuable knowledge around, you know, ideas and different teaching strategies and practices and ideas for content, but educators really are the experts of the classroom. Like, like I said, they're in it day in, day out, and they know their children better than anyone. So we always say that coaching, I mean, coaches are thinking partners and partners don't really make decisions for one another, right? Like partners listen to and respect one another and it's the same thing with instructional coaches. They don't simply tell teachers what to do. They coaches create those conditions, right? That really empower educators to take control over their learning and they share observations. They ask questions to spark their thinking and really get them, get them moving along. Like you said, that, that thinking. So we always say, uh, back when we were coaching, we would say that we were the, the bumpers down a bowling lane, right? Like we're just there to, to like ask this question and say something, you know, share something that I noticed and then like bring out the video and like think together. But coaches are not just coming in and, you know, taking over. And I also think that the being a friend and a confidant is so important because educators oftentimes don't have the time and space to vent and just talk about their own feelings and like how hard this work is. And they also need that space and that person to, to be there with them and for them and just listen. And as we know, learning happens within the context of relationships, right? So yes, <laughs> that part is, and it's not just relationships as in like coming in and saying, Hey, you know, I love that shirt you're wearing today. It's, it's more than that. It's that partnership building every single time that you're talking and hearing them and valuing their ideas, validating their feelings and really being there with them and for them. 
every single time that you share contact together. And you mentioned that parallel process earlier, right? So you're modeling what those relationships <laughs> look like in the classroom as well. So it's good for everyone, right? Just like exactly. they need that from you, those children need that from them. So it's a great way to really tie those concepts together for them as well. Yeah, Marnetta, you mentioned earlier that, you know, the relationships that we helped support between teachers and children really helped children feel seen and valued and heard and welcomed. And that's the same thing that coaches need to do for educators and teachers is really help educators feel seen and valued and authentically really respected. There's so much deprofessionalization. I'm not sure if that's a real word, but there's this idea. <laughs> yeah, it, it is now. Okay. <laughs> there's this idea that the early childhood world is not as professional as, as other fields. And there is so much wrong with that, right? And we know how hard the work is that teachers have to do. We know the dedication and the effort and the time that it takes. And, you know, we we need to make sure that we are giving teachers that space and that respect and that time to make sure that they really feel supported in what in what they can do. It, it's a really difficult job. It's a lot of things to keep in mind at once. So a coach's job is to make sure that, just like Claudia said, that the conditions are set up to make sure that the teacher can be successful because that's what we need for children to be successful. So it's really, it all goes back to the child, but the relationship between the coach and the teacher is a really important one. It is. They have to be able to trust you, right? Trust is an important factor, but they also have to be able to rely on you, right? As a resource, (laughs) you know, a credible resource. Um, It's also about, you know, the respect of showing up when you say you're going to show up, you know, providing those things when you say that you're going to provide those things, because those types of inactions impact those relationships and their ability to grow as professionals as well. Yeah. So if teaching best practices are universal, why does diversity and representation matter when it comes to coaching? So diversity and representation, and especially authentic representation, they always matter, right, in every context. So when it comes to coaching, and we can tie this back to that parallel process, for children, it's important to see each one as a unique individual. Teachers are unique individuals as well. So it's really important to make sure that we respect each person's unique individuality, that we respect their cultural backgrounds, their linguistic backgrounds, respect and honor that and value that and make sure that that partnership that we build is within a context of, like you said, like mutual trust and mutual respect. And what better way to show that respect than to make sure that you are giving that space for that variation to be there, right? And and it ties back to class too. We know that there are these interactions that are core and beneficial for all children, but we know that those interactions can look different based on so many different things, right? Effective interactions can vary based on cultural background, based on developmental variation, based on the setting, based on the context. So it's that it's the same principle, right? A partnership between a coach and a teacher can vary and it can look different and it can be effective 
when there is that trust, when there is that respect and that validation and that openness for including the teacher's cultural context in the conversations and the children's cultural context in the conversations too. Yeah. And I think like Dorothy said, it's so important for a coach to come in with that, like knowing that there's so much variation and saying, Oh, Hey, like there's not this one way of demonstrating uh, of creating a, a classroom community and of showing affection and of creating connections. Like, I wonder how this educator demonstrates affection with their children, right? Like just having that awareness and, and acknowledging that variation and, and coming in with that open mind and that sense of wonder and curiosity about what that looks like in this learning setting and between this educator and these children is already huge. So I have a question and it's around representation. Have you ever had any barriers in regard to building relationships with any of your teachers due to the lack of seeing themselves in the people who are coming to support them? We were really intentional about the ways that we tried to support teachers and make sure that we had as much of that representation as possible. I think one of the challenges is that Miami is such a multicultural community and we have a really big population that speaks Creole, Haitian Creole. And there were some teachers whose that was their that was their primary language. And we did not have a coach that spoke Haitian Creole. So there was a little bit of a difficulty there. And truthfully, it it is difficult sometimes to really try to meet everybody where they are. And I think that's why that openness and that respect is so important. And making sure that as a coach, you're not coming in with your decisions already made, that you're not coming in with a mindset, a fixed mindset, that you're coming in with curiosity, like Claudia said, with questions, with that openness, because we first have to acknowledge that we we don't know everything. And not one single person can, right? Not one single person can relate to every single person, every single other person, but we can make sure that we're making that space and respecting that and knowing that you're coming in to a different cultural context, observing, waiting, watching, learning as much as you are, you know, those bumpers, we also have to take that time to learn. More often than not, we were able to really get past those first few challenges because we approached everything with openness and curiosity and respect and and ended up establishing some wonderful partnerships with our teachers. But I think language is the the first and foremost uh, barrier that you have to make sure you can overcome. So thankfully, we had lots of bilingual coaches that were able to just do coaching fully in Spanish with our Spanish-speaking teachers. Did you want to add anything, Claudia? Just like that, that language match is so critical, right? And I think sometimes there are teachers that they they speak a second language, but it's not their, it's not the language they are most comfortable in or the language that they can really, you know, go full length in. And I think it's it's so important that when possible, the coach does speak the educator's preferred language. Because, you know, if there's not a a cultural match, 
that's all right. You know, I can come in and learn so much about how this educator interacts and and does things and and what their views are. But as long as we speak both like fluently the same language. So I, I just think that that access is so important. Thank you so much for adding that. So how can program leaders ensure more diversity among their coaches? What are your recommendations for that? Yeah, so we were chatting about this and I think before even going out to to try to diversify and 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 find more coaches it's just really just getting to know who is on their team first, right? Like who's on my staff? Who are my educators? What cultural communities do they come from? What are their preferences? Like who are they and what are they like? I think is just step one. And then Dorothy, you were going to add something. Yeah, I think that an important, a second step, I guess. So first step is you you really take some time to get to know who your people are. And then secondly, I think that there is a way to build internal capacity to make sure that the leaders and the coaches that you bring into your team, you know, what better way to make sure that there's representation than to build that capacity from that own community, from that own internal community. So really helping to secure those supports in the languages that your educators speak, helping to facilitate some communities of practice where educators can help to bring each other up and really help each other's practice. And through that, you're kind of building this own little community of peer-to-peer coaches, right? A coach doesn't have to be somebody external that comes. It doesn't have to be somebody that you have to go out and search and find. You have to find this expert in the field. Not at all. There's so much experience that educators have that they bring to the table that can help other educators, right? We know that there's so much turnover. So we know that there is a lot of new teachers coming in. So let's take teachers that do have this experience, build their capacity, really help them to facilitate communication with other teachers and take some of these newer teachers sort of under their wing and really help them. Um, Peer-to-peer coaching, I think, is a, a really great way to start building that from your own your own internal staff, your own internal team. I also think that there's a lot of a lot more tools now at people's disposal, right? If the pandemic taught us one thing, it's that a lot of things can be done virtually. So I think that there are more and more ways to build people's capacity now and more and more resources that are becoming um, more readily available in multiple different languages. Um, so I think that there is a, a way, it's difficult, right? We're not saying this is easy. We're not saying that finding coaches and leaders and that perfectly represent who your team is, we're not saying that's easy. What we're saying is that there are more things that are becoming readily available that can help you build capacity and help you connect with others that maybe are, that have the same goals, that have the same shared goals, right? We know that thing that there are class learning community, right? Helps to bring a lot of different people together across a whole myriad of roles, across a lot of different locations. So I think that there are ways to find supportive communities that are more common now than, than it was ever before. Wonderful. Thank you for adding that. See, I knew there was something else. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. So fervent. <laughs> so we've got 
um, this diversity, right, um, amongst our coaches, right? We are building them at an internal capacity, as you suggested. How do we foster more equitable coaching practices from those coaches? What would you tell program leaders? I think there's several things, right? But I think one of the most important things is building off what we were saying earlier is to, at the very least, have our coaches engage in, and it doesn't have to be something that's extremely, you know, lengthy or time consuming, but some forms of diversity and equity trainings that expose them and expose them to this awareness and bring awareness to their own individual self that they are an individual self and that we are all we all have our ways of being and we all bring so much uniqueness and and amazing differences and diversities to what we do every single day even when we are from similar or the same cultural communities right so i would say that training of course training around supporting coaches in understanding how to acknowledge and reduce their own biases and what they bring to the table, but also this sense of wonder and curiosity as an initial approach. That should always be the approach, but especially in the early phases of coaching is just so critical because even if there is not a cultural match, even if you know nothing about the background of this educator and these children, you can still engage in equitable coaching practices and honor and value that if you come in with the right approach. So yes, cultural match and and language match is always the, the ideal, but of course there are limitations and sometimes it's not feasible. So I think to not feel discouraged by that, if, if, you know, leaders don't have access to maybe a very diverse coaching pool, just taking the right approach is still such an important and powerful and effective road. Yeah. And in addition to making sure that the people on your team that have the responsibility of coaching engage in the, in those trainings and professional experiences around acknowledging their bias and reducing their bias. I think there's also a part about making sure that you have the right people in decision-making roles. So not only having the diversity in your coaches, but also making sure that the people who are deciding how that coaching is going to happen, how often, what it's going to look like, what you're going to focus on, making sure that the people who are involved in those decisions are the people who are also going to do that work, right? So that might mean getting all of your teachers together, understanding what their priorities and goals are, really coming together and thinking about who are our children, what do they need from us, how can us as teachers, how can we as coaches really work together to support all of that, and and really helping to facilitate this partnership between teachers and coaches where everyone has an equal footing on the on the decision-making table, right? So making sure that when you're deciding on a coaching model, talk to your teachers and 
gather information about what their communication preferences are, what their availabilities are, how they want to support children, in what context do they want to support children in? Are they already engaging in certain kinds of experiences? How can we support them? So making sure that teachers are just as much of that decision in that decision-making process as the people that you're giving that responsibility to coach is a really important part of equity, right? Making sure that you're not making decisions for people, you're making decisions with the people that you're asking to do this work. I love that so much, Dorothy. And imagine how much like more enjoyable and how much more open educators would be to coaching if they were a part of designing and determining what that coaching is going to look like, right? Like how incredible would that be? Another parallel process. Imagine that following their lead, right? (laughs) They're interested in building around that. Imagine that. (laughs) So simple, right? It seems so simple, but we know that it's not easy. And we know that it's not typically how people think about coaching and engaging teachers. But yeah, it sounds so simple. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of times, you know, you think of coaching as some type of punitive thing, right? I did something wrong. Now here comes this person yeah. to tell me how to do it right. <laughs> Instead of it being this collaborative effort just to elevate our practices, right? That there's nothing wrong. You're doing all these amazing things. I'm here to support you to get even more of that in there, right? And funny story about that, Marnetta, when Dorothy and I started coaching, that that was like, we were still, you know, more like, we just weren't as tainted and like, we didn't know all the darker sides of of some of the stuff that goes on in our field. And we walked into the classrooms and we were like, oh my God, teachers are going to be so excited that we are coaching them. Like what a pleasure. And they were all like, oh no. And like almost every single teacher was like, are you here because I did something wrong or I am not doing well and I need the most help. And I'm like, what? (laughs) No, but then we, you know, that, that is how, sadly, coaching is portrayed oftentimes and how it is treated, right? And and teachers have been scarred by some negative, not very respectful experiences. So I think just as a field, we need to do better and we need to align on, on some of these not easy to implement, but so, so, so important practices. Yeah. yeah. Everybody needs to grow and it's always great to have a partner in that growth. Exactly. Yep. It makes the whole process a lot easier when you have that thinking partner, when you have somebody that you can show you clips of what that your children were able to do and what you've been able to do, and that can think through things with you and provide some more ideas and help you think of solutions to things that you want to focus on, right? And a big part of what we would always remind ourselves in the big state of mind was this is as a coach, this is not my classroom. This is this is not my program. This is this teacher's classroom. I'm coming in and they're allowing me to come in. They're offering me the opportunity to come in and spend time with them and spend time with their children and help them accomplish what they set out to do. I'm not here to tell them how to do their job. So it was difficult to get teachers to believe us at first, Um, (laughs) but actions, right? The, The actions spoke louder than the words, right? We told them at first, hey, we're not here to tell you what to do. We're here to support you. And at first they were like, yeah, yeah, sure. But then 
the more that we met with them and, and the more that we engaged in these really reflective, collaborative conversations, you know, we got to the point that we were asking them questions and they were like, just tell me what to do. Don't ask me any more questions. Just, just tell me. We were like, you got this. And then at first, we, when we would ask them questions at first, they thought we were like quizzing them. Like, and we're like, no, no, we gen- like genuinely <laughs> want to know what you think about this. And like, and, and they just thought it was like a test. And I was just like, oh no, like we need to do better everybody, right? Like why should that be the default? And and yeah, like Dorothy said, eventually they they really trusted us and, and knew that we were just thinking with them and that we weren't out to get them and that we just were trying to 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 do best together. Um, so yeah, it took a while, but we got there. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that story because, you know, it, it is hard. I could just imagine. I literally just pictured you guys going in there. Hello world. Right. And they're like, oh, whoa, back up. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> do it here. But I appreciate you sharing that story. Cause I mean, that's a, that's a true, a true obstacle. So it's just like what you guys said, if you're intentional about how you're going to approach this in a way that it's respectful and understanding that we're dealing with professionals here, they've got this, they do this every day. They don't really need us, but right? <laughs> we kind of need them. Um, and so our mindset is right. As we're engaging in this process, it's just valuable for everyone involved. Totally. Yeah, exactly. And there's an anecdote that we always share too. There's some, some data points that we gathered right at the beginning when we were recruiting teachers to be a part of this coaching, we asked teachers, how many of you, how interested are you in receiving coaching? And so many of them said that they weren't. But when we asked them if they wanted to receive help in supporting the children in their classroom, all of them said yes. Every so single one. Every every single one, right? So a huge part of an equitable coaching approach is to align on your shared goals. And what we made sure to do was align on that shared goal of supporting the children in the classroom. That's why we're all here. And that's why we're all doing this. So keeping that in mind, every single conversation we had, every single time, it was about the kids. And aligning on that goal and realigning and making sure that we we're asking teachers what they wanted to focus on. We were thinking about the children. We were thinking about what each child individually needed, not telling teachers what to do, making those decisions with them helped us to enact that equity in our coaching and make sure that we were just keeping focused on that shared goal. I think that that really helped to move our coaching forward. Wonderful. Well, believe it or not, we're out of time. <laughs> Went by really fast, didn't it? Oh, wow. <laughs> Thank you both for joining me today. I'm so happy we were able to have this discussion. A very Thank important you, <laughs> for giving us the space and bringing up this really important topic. So, <laughs> Marnetta, this was such a pleasure. Awesome. <laughs> You can find today's episode and transcript on our website, teachstone.com slash impacting. And as always, behind great leading and teaching are powerful interactions. Let's build that culture together. Thanks.